Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Everyone back at it. Thanks for tuning in. Talent Tank, another episode coming at you. Oh man, we got this guy behind the scenes, another kind of behind the scenes guy, but he's not, he's, he's, he, he runs a show over at NorCal rock racing. Uh, he's been involved with ultra four since before ultra four was ultra four. His series is definitely older. John Goodby. A lot of people know you as the, as the timing guy, but you're not just the timing guy. How are you doing, John? I'm pretty good. How are you, man? So you're coming to us live from Las Vegas. You're, yeah. but you're not from, you're not from Vegas. You don't live in Vegas. Why are you in Vegas? I'm here for a uh, Holly LS fest West, not, not strippers and blow. No, no, not really my, uh, forte, <laughs> not really your forte. And what are you doing in there at uh Holly LS fest? Uh, so it started out a couple of years ago in the West coast. Originally they contacted ultra four and me to do a build for them for the off-road section at their show. And by build, that's a course you, you are a, you can run some heavy equipment. You tend to be the guy on the dozer building the jumps. Yeah. Yeah. We, I have a great team. Well, really it's just one, one person, me and another guy, Chris Elrod from Elrod pro straps. Most people know him as bird. Him and I pretty much build everything together. If there's dozers moving in old four events, it's usually him or I. And, uh, Holly's contracted us for the last couple of years to do their build for them for the off-road show here. Oh, so that's super cool. So I didn't know I've seen the Elrod stuff like Nick Nelson, you know, always pimping Elrod straps. So, oh. uh, He's also a heavy equipment operator too. That, that's bird. That's bird. He's a man. Like, so we, you know, since I started NorCal rock racing, he's been with me from the very beginning. Like he is literally the last lone soldier of NorCal rock racing volunteers. So not yeah. a volunteer anymore, obviously, but yeah. Limit straps and tie downs and everything. God. Well, yeah. Yeah. Closing, closing the loop. Well, gosh, guys, I mean, you hear that. I didn't realize that, but you can support L rods and put a uh, L rod straps on your car. That's yeah, the way to go. I mean, if you if you watch uh, King and Hammer's 2020, I mean that strap held Marcos' car together. That's that's his strap. That was it when Marcos clipped the tree and uh, came in floppy jalopy on the right front. Yep, and the upper arm was broke off, and the only thing holding it was limit strap was literally L Rod's pro straps for a, a good little pitch there. <laughs> that is a great pitch. That's a yeah. great story. Everyone know everyone knows the Marcos story. But didn't realize that 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 was it. Wow. Yeah. Um, I would normally just call down to uh, California and. And order me up a, a, a set of straps from a, what is that over there in a Norco? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that make straps. Um, he, he, uh, rough stuff specialties actually not that I'm pitching rough stuff, but they stock his stock or his straps in stock. And, uh, he's got a patent on some of the stuff that's in those straps to help him from tearing. And he's uh, put a lot of thought into it and he started making the Y straps for tires and whatnot. And he's, he's, he's right. He's a, he's a machine, man. Like, we'll do 15 hours on the dozer together and get off and do it again next day. Wow. I, well, I'm just making mental notes. Well, okay. So you guys are, well, both of you two together and this trip uh, down there in Vegas, are you solo? So yeah, I'm actually solo. I have another guy with me right now, but uh, he's helped me out before. Chris is actually, he works for me full time and we dig pools as a regular business that we started or I started and he's been working for me. So uh, we didn't finish our project. So he's home and I'm here. You just had a, a big race this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. We had round one of the 2021 NorCal rock racing series up in uh, friendly Nevada. And, and for everyone listening, yeah, you're, you're right. It wasn't this past weekend for you. This was a weekend, a weekend ago, but, uh, 
Uh, oh, yeah. we're, we're recording after it, you know, we're recording very, very close to when this thing airs. So we get, you know, the, the most current, the best up to date information, but, uh, so yeah, so you put on that race who ended up winning the 4,400 race there. JP Gomez. He did. I think he's going on like his, uh, I think he's got three or four championships with NorCal. How crazy. Again, I'm one of those guys who I don't necessarily always remember who wins, but I definitely remember who puts on the biggest show and Ron Prendel put on the biggest show. Yeah. He, he cleared that. Yeah, he every, cleared the rock every lap. That's, I mean, he was making up time on those guys and he just, he went for it. And then, uh, you had who, who rolled, you had, you had a couple good rolls on and heat one. You had a uh, Marcos, did Marcos. No, not no. Marcos wasn't there. Um, Marcos, no, is Raul, a Raul rolled, but, uh, but Raul rolled in the main. That was in the main on like lap. I don't even know. Three, maybe who, who rolled in heat one though. Brennan Thompson, I believe. Oh, that's who it was. Okay. So yeah, yeah. TV star. Yeah. You guys had, when the camera could zoom in and no one said it on the, the announcer never said it, but when the camera would zoom in, all you got was the belly of the car. Oh, they, they yeah. all kind of look the same with yeah, 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 belly in the black car. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. technically that's a UFO car indirectly, you know I mean? It was a brother. So of Joe Thompson. So technically, I mean, I guess the belly could be the same. Just go back. 10 years. Yeah. Right. Gin minus point of like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that, is that BG before Gomez? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, I think it was before UFO. So I don't know whatever that, whatever that acronym would be. But I, I, I thought it was pretty cool to saw, uh, see Kevin Yoder out there. Yoder's a machine, man. He's raced them from the very beginning. Like he literally from the first pre NorCal rock racing, which we can get into later. Yeah, Kevin's been there. He's been a he's been a soldier, and he uh, he kills it. He get, he lays it out on the line, and he actually hit he had a pretty good show there. He stuffed the front end, did a little nose wheel in the rock pile too. Yeah, he's, so he had a pretty good pretty I good highlight video there. How long does it take you to set up for that event? For an orcal round, yep. Fernley's a new new location, so we've only raced there three times. And when I first went there in October last year, getting trying to get to the COVID stuff that area had never been touched it was raw debt de- northern nevada desert so it was uh it was it had been untouched like no water no no course so we cut in just just shy of a two mile course in four days and then um we had another rate with norcal side by side which is a branch of norcal rock racing we ran that a month before up there with just side by side classes and the track was 10 times what it was the first one in October. And then this last one with the uh, Wild West closing down and the date change, literally I got the phone call on Thursday, pre-race week. So f- Saturday morning, I loaded up, went straight there, built a five-acre parking lot because I wanted more parking and prepped the track and then went back on uh, Wednesday morning and worked Wednesday to practice start at 2 o'clock on Friday. So along those lines, and you, you dropped the, the Easter egg there about, you know, the nationals is, you know, shut down. And I know there's a scramble in the discussion about where this is going. I've seen Fernley throw out there, thrown out there numerous times on social media. And I've never heard anyone say it to, to me in person, or at least on the phone or anything like that is, is Fernley a, now that you've been there, you've put on races there. Is that a viable location for a, an ultra four nationals? Um, I think, yeah, I think when I built that place originally, when I first, when I first pre-sided the location, it's basically Prairie city on steroids. So I built a spectator Hill. That's three times the size of the grass area at Prairie city. If anyone's ever been there, we call spectator Hill. And then I tiered the Hill out. 
So there's actually, you can set an easy up up and still see over the, you know, on the top tier, you can still see over the second tier with an easy up up. It's definitely something there. It's, it's got a great future and potential. Like I, when I tell people what I want to do there, everyone sees the vision. And I think my vision is, is pretty solid from building tracks, you know, a little bit of everywhere. So I think it's definitely viable. I mean, that's the stuff that Dave and I have to talk through too. And there's obviously some other locations on the table, but it's uh, oh, for sure. For sure. It'd be yeah. rad. It'd be amazing, but we'll see. I wasn't trying to back you into, you know, alluding no. to anything with, with Fernley. Um, I'd just seen it floated. And since not having been there in this weekend, was it, was it you, you text me right before the green flag heat one. <laughs> and I did not, I was following San Felipe and following rush. And then I didn't, I don't know. It escaped me. I flip it open and there it is. Everyone is staged at the line. It's like the Gomez fleet. I'm like, Oh, I'm watching this uh, you yeah. know, it, four, four laps of, of this. And just, Oh man, it was great. Dan Weirich in heat one walking away and then just getting reeled back in. Just, he yeah. just got real. I mean, he had, God, he was so far out front. I'm like, Oh yeah, he's good. And then yeah. he just got reeled in, man. I, I bet Dan was kicking himself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't watch many of the races. So like it's sometimes when you tell me, ask me questions, like knowing who won technically the only reason I really know how it won is because I just wrote the checks. Oh, <laughs> so, 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 so is that your thing? Is that where you get the pleasure, the satisfaction, the, you know, the, the fulfillment is from the, executing the prep the plan and then getting it going and then once it's going it's the ship the you know the ship left port the train left the station yeah no i mean once we get going i mean bird takes over on the track and i don't, I don't go on the track anymore um i pretty much let him just he runs the track handles recovery handles between him and my timing my timing team i don't even do timing anymore around events so between the stagers and timers and my pre-stagers and and bird and they just they handle the track and i put up the fires outside the fences i guess you'd say and it's an amazing team you know we just it's it goes pretty well i feel now we we run a real tight crew i mean there's there's like seven you know seven core staff maybe running that event maybe and you're pulling off a, a, a damn big event and we're you know we're doing yeah we're doing 27 races in eight hours that's always impressive. I'm always impressed with, you know, anyone that puts those on. I, I, I would struggle. I get where there's, there's calls to be made and making calls in like the heat of moment without all the information or with partial information. I know that's, that's hard. And it makes the second guessing after the Monday quarterbacking afterwards be all that much tough to deal with. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, just some of the stuff that happens on the track, I got no, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, at sometimes I, yeah, I won't see a race at all. So it's, it's pretty tough. I have to rely on, on, on bird and what he saw. And, you know, he's my head of track official. I guess you'd compare him to JT and JT. ultra four. He's a little more rash and a little more aggressive than JT. JT's a little more people pleaser and bird will tell you how it is. If you roost him and he's got a yellow flag out, you better hide in your truck. Is JT. I, you know, I love JT. Great buddy. I yeah. go anywhere with that guy do anything for him, but he talks a big game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the knife uh, edge hand, you know? He, um, yeah. I love JT. He's not as scary as he used to be. I think that's right. I think he, is he mellowing in his old age? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that'd be it. There's scarier people that have been on staff. So he got, he got demoted in scariness level. did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has he turned 50 yet? I don't know. I mean, he's probably like 170 by now. He's like a vampire. <laughs> he's, if he's in Texas, I mean, he's at least 170 by now. Right. 
amount of birthdays he has. Oh, well, yeah, he has 365 of those a day. I mean, yeah. a year, right? I was going short with 170 because I figured some people miss him sometimes. So, sometimes. Yeah. Some- he's he's a great guy. I really do like uh, the the team that Ultra 4 has has uh, put together. But um, you ended up you know, in that mix. We'll get there down the road. Uh, yeah, we'll go yeah. back to, to current affairs. And so Holly LS Fest, you got down there. Okay, so you leave your race. You broke down, uh, you know, break it down Saturday, Sunday, you get back from Fernley, you get back to your place. You live, uh, you live outside Folsom, California, right? Outside Sacramento. Yeah. I'm a little east. I'm in Cameron park, like shingle Springs, Cameron park border. Now that's the road that you, when you head out of Folsom towards Tahoe, head toward the El Dorado forest. Yep. Highway 50. Like I'm four exits from, like I used to live across the freeway from Prairie city. Literally you could see my house from Prairie city. Like if you knew which way you're looking and I moved up uh, and I grew up in that town in Folsom, but I, uh, I needed some dirt. I need some land. So I moved up the hill and I made it four exits. I went real far. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not real far. Of, yeah. of all the towns in California that I've, I haven't spent a ton of time outside of Johnson Valley and Hammertown. The most yeah. time I've spent in California has been in Folsom and it was okay. years and years of going there to visit the California independent system operator. California okay. ISO and back when they were on blue, blue ravine road. And then, uh, yeah. the bunker was over there and then they moved everything over to iron point with the new facility and yep. controlling all the electricity that comes in and produced in and consumed in the state of California. That's crazy. I didn't even know that was there. That's funny. That's uh, I mean, I grew up in Folsom and, and when we moved there, I mean, I was three years old. So, I mean, I watched that town, grow i've had multiple houses and areas that i used to ride a dirt bike in i mean i used to ride my dirt bike where the hospital is right and so that town is it's definitely grown my parents are still in the same house my school bus went through the prison you know and picked up the kids that the, the kids that lived uh there the state workers that lived in the prison grounds and yeah it was a uh, it was a cool town yeah famous so song, famous song right oh yeah johnny cash yeah they built the trail they built a new bike trail actually that's there so oh no kidding yeah, yeah, there's a giant cash trail now. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that it's is down. Nice. Now, is the lake there? Is the lake water really down? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's a lake right now. It's more like a puddle, but oh. yeah. Yeah. That lake, that lake's pretty good. It's like, it's a good lake, a lot of good fishing, a lot of good recreation. Yeah. It's an amazing place. Definitely an amazing place to grow up. I'd fly out there. I would have work. So I, I'd be at Cal ISO during the day. And then um, I would schedule to fly back, not the next day, but the following day. And I would leave. And I would head to uh, head up through the El Dorado to Tahoe to actually down to Mound House, not to the Cat House, but to Schaefer's, mm-hmm. and help prep race cars with DSI. Oh, okay. And then nice. do the drive back and kind of work a vacation day out west uh, around race cars into a business trip. That's a le- leveraging some good stories about trying to get back through the El Dorado and like in wintertime when it snow. And yeah. you'd have the Caltrans workers out there like blocking it yeah. and like, where do you think yeah. you're going? Yeah. And I got to yeah. catch a I mean, flight in the morning, man. <laughs> yeah. I've been to, I've been to many places, obviously, you know, between racing my whole life. And, uh, I mean, Folsom is centrally located you now or an hour or a mango snow wheeling in 35 minutes. So I can, if you want to go to San Francisco, you can be there an hour, you know, it's pretty centrally located airports an hour, you know, 40 minutes away. Like, I don't know, man, I've been in a lot of places in this country and, I don't know where else to go. I don't think I'm leaving. 
No, it is. Went four exits from Folsom, I guess. But besides that, well, besides that, I mean, you're you're close to to wine country. You can go down to Fairfield if you want to get yourself some, uh, you know, some Jelly Bellies. I mean, there's a there's a Budweiser plant down there. Oh, is there? Not not that I drink, but there's one down there. (laughs) Do Do you not drink? You drink? No, no, not a big drinker. No, I like beer. I mean, I'll drink other stuff fireball but yeah i, I tried n- at races i try to keep it pretty chill and drink a lot of water that's kind of my you know drink a lot of water but if somebody's gonna have a fireball out i'll have a you couple might, i'll have a couple have of those yeah I, I struggled with uh you know I, i'm no secret i'm a diabetic and uh so when i was i was having a lot of problems with meds and getting my my meds right i was having a lot, so i actually stopped drinking for quite a while once we got those meds right back to the yeah. beer yeah, game on. Game on. We're 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 good. Yeah. So you grew up in Folsom, whole life. Yep. Where did you go to college? You have a degree in like business management. Yeah, I went to CSU, California State University. So Sacramento. You didn't even you you really do love that area. You didn't go. You didn't. You didn't well, there. yeah, there's stories behind that. Yeah. Usually that's the uh, you know like you didn't you didn't want to get away from home you didn't want to get from your parents or or it's a, a significant other right you've got a girlfriend and they didn't go somewhere it's got to be so, some reason uh-huh. right yeah the uh, so the real story is I was I mean go forward or backwards in my life I was racing motocross still and I wanted to go down to Southern California because that's where the mecca was but um, my family business was here and I was racing motocross and I thought I was gonna. I thought I was going to be, you know, Ricky Carmichael, right? So just like everyone else does. So I, I played around junior college for, you know, I, I took a couple extra shifts, you know? So, you know, one class here, one class there, you know, and it's more important to go ride my dirt bike. So by the time I was getting ready to transfer and get out of junior college, I was getting older and I just pretty much told myself, I, I swear I told my parents, but they swear I didn't tell them. But, you know, if I didn't make it like a legit pro by, you know, 2021, I was going to hang it up and, and I think that's about the time I transferred into Sac State and uh, I hung the boots up and, and put my head down and finished school and uh, started my first company and helped with the family company. And it made sense to stay home. And the business program at Sac State's really, really good. And full circle, my grandma actually got her master's from there. So my grandma got to watch me walk at Sac State where she got her master's. So the kind of full circle of that's how that's how I stayed. I think this is a very cool you know, grain to go down is you mentioned, you know, you, your family, your family had a business and I know you today to be an entrepreneur with multiple things, kind of like a freelancer, kind of like a, a mercenary for hire, but also you have uh, multiple avenues that you've started. Talk us through that, you know, living, I guess, under the, that guise of being your own boss every single day. Cause so, some people are, I mean, some people have that, that that's the only thing that they can do. And that's the only thing they can see themselves doing. And that's their drive. And then you got other people that are like, man, I just want my eight to five. <laughs> I wish, I mean, I would know what eight to five look like. I don't even know what, I don't even know what a seven to seven looks like, but uh, you know, my family company, my dad's a hard worker. Mom's rent, mom ran the company with them. Um, it was an excavation company. We did, we did finish grading on production houses. I mean, we hit, we were a medium sized company and yeah, my old man just, he's a machine. Like he, he would still work to this day if he could see. Unfortunately, he's got macro degeneration of his eyes, so he's going blind slowly. But, I mean, he was on a tractor. I mean, he's 79, and he was on a tractor probably till he was 75 and still out working every guy we had. So the family company was huge. We actually recently just uh, shut the doors down, not COVID, not liberals, just 
just business decisions, you know, Cal, well, I mean, I guess the liberals, California being compliant with equipment and trucks and stuff. It was just a bunch of money to spend at the end of the year of, of the end of 2020. And I just made a, I made a decision between another business I have and racing and everything else I want to do in my life. It just, it was, it was too much, too much work for me. And I wasn't good. And honestly, I wasn't good enough on equipment to make up for my guys when they would, you know, call in sick or they were just dragging ass for lack of terms. I, I just wasn't, I wasn't my dad. I wasn't, I wasn't a machine. I, I mean, I, I spent more time on my dirt bike and, and I transitioned into building the racetracks and whatnot. I didn't spend the time on the finish grading aspect of that business. So I just, I, I just flat out wasn't as good as I needed to be to bail out anything we needed to do. So between that and California compliance and trucks, I would have to spend, you know, well over a half million dollars to stay in business and just wasn't on paper. It didn't make any sense. I just, so we, uh, almost 50 years, we, uh, I shut the door. It was kind of almost like a failure, but not. And, um, but my parents are happy. They're, they're okay. They're old. So we're cranking. I'll say it this way. If anything is constant in life, it's change. Nothing's, yeah. nothing's forever. Yeah. There's really nothing is forever. And, and that said it is, I, I mean, sad that your, your, your family business of 50 years closed, but on the flip side, that allows you to make the next business and make the next business and make the next. Yeah. And that's, it left, it left the door open. Like, so I guess go back to the, the part of the reason is the game changed, right? I mean, the grading business, when you, when you have a painter or a drywall guy or, or a roofer, those guys show up and pick up trucks, right. And have materials delivered. And they're, you know, their overhead is a couple of guys at X amount of dollars an hour. And they show up in their truck and they do their thing and they leave, you know, even in the concrete world, it's, it's like that. But with the excavation side, we're showing up with a quarter million dollars in equipment and we're the least paid trade on that job. You know, and that's when my old man, I mean, he did it all those years. He made it work. We had a great living. You know, he, you know, he always worked and we, and it was okay. You know, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't rich. We weren't poor. Right. But with the game changing and, and the cost of equipment, operating costs and fuel and everything else and being the, and being the cheapest trade, like a painter paints a house for 10 grand, you know, and they do four a day. Well, we go in and finish grade 10 houses before the landscapers get there. And we're in there for like five grand for 10 houses. Like it was, it was drastic. So there's some guys out there. We are all our competition state and they, you know, they're, they're, they're growing and picking up our slack and, you know, more power to them. Cause now I don't have to deal with a bunch of trucks and a bunch of tractors breaking all the time. Yeah. Th- thin margin. And now as you move forward with all the new equipment, the tunes, the programming, they're not easy to just fix in the field. You got to haul them to the dealership. And there's, there's, I mean, like John Deere is in the middle of multiple lawsuits over the proprietariness of their software oh, yeah. and the ability to even work on your stuff. You know, I just had a call, you know, this afternoon from a friend that he's been doing, he's like, man, I'm about to hang it up working on cars. He goes, these guys keep bringing me tractors and I'm making way more money repairing tractors than I was ever making, you know, car repairs. And I was like, well, don't do anything new. And he goes, Oh man, I can't work on new stuff. I don't have, you know, the John Deere's code reader was $7,000. He was like, yeah. I'm not going to do diagnostics. I don't, I can't justify that. They can take that shit to the dealer. Yeah. It's uh it's insane. You know I mean? Just, just a carb compliance that, you know, California resource board. I mean, it's just insane. I mean, taking trucks that are off the road, you know, two or three truck fleets and just, you know, letting these guys, we were on a low mileage program for like 5,000 miles a year for as long as we could do, you know, just playing the game. I mean, it's just destroying owner operators of any business of any kind of trucking. 
Do you think the future when they get there, and I don't think it's any time soon, I think it's in t- the 10 year is kind of the horizon I see for it. And what it seems like we're reading on the hydrogen in the trucks on the road in California, that seems to be the place where everyone's going and everyone's developing, trying to put in hydrogen fuel stations, trying to put in hydrogen manufacturing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I haven't kept up on that stuff. So it's just, uh, that was from out in right field. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not my it's not my gig, right? I mean, my other stuff, my other businesses are what they are, and um, the grading sucks. But if we are. I mean, I actually, a, a, something flourished out of that after King of the Hammers. Hence, what I hinted a little bit earlier as, as Chris or Bird, we started digging pools. So I already had a bunch of equipment. So we just literally transitioned. My buddy has a pool company. Couldn't couldn't the diggers couldn't keep up. So I told him before we got to KOH before we left. I said, "You figure it out. You got three weeks to figure it out. I'm on the lake bed for 22 days." So you figure it out. And uh, when I get home, I'll dig him. He called me during race week. He's like, when are you coming home? I'm like, you got another six days, man. He's like, well, hurry up. So we got home and I think we, uh, I think we're starting our 12th or 13th pool tomorrow since we've been home for King of the Hammers. So not bad for a couple man crew or a one man crew more or less. Cause I leave him by himself quite a bit. Is the margin there good or reasonable i think it's or- better i mean i'm in the same spot i was before I, you know I've been, I've been paying the truck drivers to haul the dirt and now i now i gotta buy trucks so i'm almost in the same spot i was before but i'm able to leverage some of the equipment i already have and i'm going to liquidate some of that and hopefully have you know come out and try to be you know not a bunch of payments and keep on operating that was our biggest thing is my old man is you know we've been a cash-based company forever so we owned everything so you know to to have have payments was not in our uh, business plan by any means. I gotcha. Yeah. So the, the concrete business I'm involved in, we own our, not all of our equipment, we own you know, chunks of it and we would move it around, not ourselves. We had guys that we would call, they show up with a truck, wherever it is. Sometimes it'd be a roll off. Sometimes it'd be a bigger truck. Sometimes it'd be a low boy and move the stuff for us. And it was just a flat rate you know, yep. every day. And, and then we just didn't have to worry about, any of that and then didn't have to worry about getting you know having dot houseless or or uh commercial uh inf- vehicle enforcement here in houston pulling your truck over and then hassling it we just didn't we just don't worry about it it's uh hey we got this this mini x here we need it moved here tomorrow we've got this these skid steers here we need them moved over there in two days i mean yeah it makes sense i mean there's there's a way to do it and the, and the, the pool digging business is pretty competitive so you have to own your own trucks. You can't, you can't be paying the hourly rate of trucks. I mean, I'm finding that out real fast and we got dump trailers and stuff, but obviously that doesn't haul as much material. So that's when I get home for the short period of time I'm home. I'm going to work on, try to get that all uh, ironed out, but it's funny. Yet I know you work for a concrete company because that's my other business. <laughs> well, back into that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got involved in, uh, I was buying a company in 2017 and then we dissolved kind of my buying out of that in uh, tw- the beginning of 2020. The guy decided it was a five-year buyout. Uh, we were a little over a year and a half in and he came to the realization he did not want to, he didn't want to retire. It was yeah. it, it, like once he was faced with, you know, three and a half years, he was going to be done. He, he couldn't. And now we're, well, that would have ended the end of this year would have been when the buyout was complete and he's going stronger than ever. Yeah. He, he just had no interest in and the thing was, as I was that far into it, I wasn't loving it. <laughs> I, I liked it, but I, I didn't love it. And I'm back doing what I, what I did for 20 years, and I love doing that. So I'm, I'm good there. But the labor, like you, you brought up labor, and we struggled with 
that every single day, you know, you'd have, and as somebody brought this up to me yesterday, um, similarly, it was like, you know, we had, you know, Hispanic crews be the, be the Guatemalan or from Honduras, or they were truly from Mexico and you'd have a foreman speaks English. Yep. Good. And, but every day he'd show up with 10 different dudes or eight of the same dudes, two new ones. And it was like constantly this constant having to retrain people every day and they do stuff wrong. So you always had this, it was just, it's freaking constant. Just dealing with it. It's like, how can you guys keep getting this wrong? Well, it's because every single day is a different set of dudes. So <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, construction. It's a game, right? I mean, I don't know. I consider myself a fixer, I guess in my aspect of life. So if it's a challenge, you know, and, and I can fix it, then that's what we do. So that's kind of where the concrete can then comes in, you know, I mean, concrete's one of those things you get three to four hours of working time and that's it. So you're on fire the whole time. It's kind of like promoting a race, right? You're always, you're always chasing something. So it kind of all goes hand in hand. And and if you're on a dot project, it's two hours and the concrete can't be above 91 degrees. Well, if you pour in the summertime in Houston, anyway, <laughs> it hits over 91 at five in the morning. So, yeah, you know, I can't tell you how I do not miss the leaving my house at three in the morning to start to drive an hour to get first trucks there by four 30 and pour from four 30 AM. And you're like wrapping up, you know, a 500 yard pour at you know, 10, 11 noon, the finishers are there. They're going to be there to like three. And then you still have to go do other job site bids other. Yeah. Hey, so tell me about your concrete business. <laughs> <laughs> so we're a little smaller scale. We uh, started out as, as a curbing. I bought a curbing machine company, you know, just like my landscape curbing between your grass and your planter, you know, like the little extruded curbs. Okay. So we bought a company and did that at, you know, gosh, 2000, you know, I'm coming up on 20 years. So we bought this company and then I knew nothing about concrete. I was still going to school and my uh, childhood friend was doing concrete. And I'm like, Hey man, I got to get a concrete license for this curb thing. I'm like, hey, you want to you leave the guys you're working with and come work for me? So here we go on a Ford Ranger with a lumber rack and my, my Chevy truck. And, and we went for it. And I mean, we, I, mean, I had everyone from every one of my friends working. We just we went for it. Just I did all high end stamped, taught, our, taught myself how to detail, color, sealing, acid stain, did a couple classes here and there, did some, did some uh, stamp testing of density of the rubbers, like, Literally before the economy, you know, did our tank and we just, we went for it like pool decks, patios, walkways, driveways, and just, you know, two crews and just, we, we went, it was, if it wasn't stamped concrete and it wasn't decorative and, and high square footage, we didn't touch it. That's awesome. Yeah. Those guys are, you know, artisans. Right? For sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I had to teach myself how to detail and, and fix things that when you're, when you're stamping concrete and you're missing color and fix and faux, like faux finishing concrete, more or less. I mean, I literally had to teach myself this stuff. It was crazy. It was, it was a good time when I was young and it was, I didn't nothing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to rod. I didn't know how to cut a joint. I didn't know how to finish. I mean, I knew nothing. Like it was literally relying on my friends and I had the business and I had the business mindset. And I said, Hey, I can pay you guys this much. And as we get bigger, we'll grow. And we did pretty good till the economy, you know, took a tank and then things changed. We survived and, I got my buddy went on somewhere else to go do bigger, better things. And I kept going and hired more guys. And I mean, I, I think we're almost on 20 years. I think can't remember. It's been uh, a long time. Blinsky, I don't know how you have enough, have enough spare time, but you mentioned to me a while back, uh, in a conversation that you also have a 
like a rap company? <laughs> yeah. So, Not uh, like get a rap, but a uh, vinyl yeah, rap. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you never know, <laughs> you know, might be one of my secret talents. So my buddy had a bunch of machines in his, at his house and he wasn't running them anymore. He got into the, uh, the green business and, uh, I'm like, Hey, and he was used to print on my banners and stickers and whatnot. And they're just sitting. He's like, just come get them. I don't even care. I'm like, okay. So I got a shop at my house. And so I, I built a clean room in my, sh- in my shop and we're actually up and running pretty solid right now. We're doing a bunch of stuff with, with Gomez and we wrapped their cars for Moab actually. And those were the first, I did all three cars over the weekend in like 26 hours. We wrapped all three cars. I mean, I, I mean, I wrapped my own stuff and did motocross stickers and stuff, not, but never did like a full car like that. I mean, Lily neighbors are like, what's going on? Like, you know, Jason laughing, their crew, their uh, shop manager brings over the cars and drops them off. My neighbors are like, what is going on? And uh, we went for it and wrapped the cars. And now we're doing a bunch of graphics and logos and Ryan Delapoint, you know, he's, everyone knows who he is, Redline Projects. He's been working with me from the very beginning of NorCal pretty much and works for Ultra 4. And he's been helping me with the design aspect. And we just print away. And at night, I go out there in the shop and we do some printing and do some weeding. And it's, uh, I mean, I like it. It's fun. It's different. You know, I mean, it's probably the only thing in my life that's not time sensitive. <laughs> yeah, man. You, you mentioned Ryan Del Ponte. So I shared an RV with him recently at Hammers for, uh, for five or seven days or something. Yeah. I love that guy. God, he's awesome. He is. He is a solid dude. I mean, he, he, he showed up at the NorCal race. I don't know how many years ago now it was like, you know, I mean, he's still a skinny little guy and he's like, he Hey, is. I want to take pictures. I'm like, well, don't die. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And I mean, and he's got a great eye. I mean, obviously he's behind a lot of stuff with ultra four and he's been behind me for a long time. I mean, we learned or he learned, you know, Adobe and Photoshop and how to build a website. I mean, literally stuff that, I mean, he's had a camera and we just went, went for it and his skill set's really high now. And I mean, I couldn't do it without him. And I know Ultra 4 couldn't do it without him. And the poor guy, he's, he spreads thinner than he is skinny. Yeah. Right. Great guy. Uh, Redline projects. Yeah. I'm yep. sure you guys have seen him on, on Instagram. You've definitely seen his pictures. If you didn't know who it was behind there, I actually didn't know who, who was behind there until not, you know, that long ago. Yeah. He's uh he's solid. He's um. Uh, like I said, he's got a great eye. We do a lot of cool stuff together. Um, he's local to me for now. All the t-shirt designs behind NorCal, I mean, that's, that's all him. I mean, him and I, we just go through it and pound it out and figure it out. The only shirt he doesn't design is actually the actual event shirts, which is the cartoony style uh, shirt. And the same guy's been doing those shirts for me from the very beginning. Every event shirt he's done. So otherwise, Ryan does it. I feel like he told me, or maybe Roxy told me, he's done some of the hammer shirts too. Some of the ultra force. He may be behind the scenes. A lot of ultra force stuff also. Yeah. I think, I think he is. I, I don't. He is. He, he's definitely, he's definitely Roxy always, you know, Roxy thinks it's funny. He goes, Oh my guy, Ryan. I was like, yeah, your guy, Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Roxy. <laughs> him, he was mine first. Now you're fighting over a guy. It's super weird. <laughs> All right. Roxy, watch it. We'll break your other leg. Right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm going to buy her that knee scooter. She's going to hear that too. Tell her it's, it's in the mail. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she had surgery and then I, I think she's still kind of limping around. I, I know she was in, she was in Kentucky, but, but yeah, I mean, she stepped out of her RV onto a rock. I mean, how freakish is that at, out of the hammers? That's a good wife. That's a solid cover up. So, you know, we'll go with that. <laughs> oh poor robert uh he, he was he was already uh you know taking care of her anyway i mean she runs the show but uh oh god i i, I read a meme today that made me think about her and 
I'll, I'll look up here in a second have to read it out, but nonetheless, uh, so there you've got the rap deal going. You tell me about it. And I'm like, huh? Okay. And I swear, and we did not have a good connection. So this wasn't like me standing in the bathroom peeing while you were talking. I was ignoring you. I just didn't catch it, but I thought, and I didn't, when I saw the cars, nothing stood out, but I swear you told me that you wrapped one of them in polka dots. Yeah, well, it wasn't technically polka dots. The design was like a uh, matrix, like a, I guess it'd be a polka dot matrix. And it was done by Del, Del Ponte in a, and uh, it was on JP's car. And they came to, t- they picked the cars up and went to go test it. And JP showed up to the yard and he goes, those aren't my panels, are they? And the guys are like, yeah, he's like, it looks like freaking polka dots. And he's like, that's not going to work. And this is like, I'm leaving for Moab to go wheeling for a couple of days for once, you know, and. Chris Barnett, the race team manager, is like, hey, man, you got to rewrap JP's car. I'm like, there's no way, man. I'm leaving tomorrow. So he's like, well, do you have any black material? I said, yeah, I got some gloss black. So one of the guys came by and picked up some gloss black, and he had some guys in the shop in the yard between all you know all their stuff they got going on. They wrapped the cars black and stickered them. So, so it got redone. So it got covered up. It got up. redone, yeah. So Raul stayed the same, and then uh, Marcos's car was uh, it was satin black with stickers on it, and that was pretty simple. But, uh, yeah, JP, I didn't want to be in his head, you know, I mean, as dumb as it sounds, it's important to me, you know, when you get in the car, it's comfortable and as dumb as a rap sounds. I mean, if he doesn't like the rap, I mean, who knows, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that JP watered his car up because all he could think about was he was polka dotted. <laughs> he, did, he didn't look good for the cameras, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously they're contenders at every event they go to. So, I mean, it's important for me to them, for them to look good. And if I'm going to do it, it needs to be a hundred percent. So it's important to me. And so I, if I could have rewrapped the cars, I would have. I, just, I literally was already pl- travel planned and I was going. And you know, we have a new design coming out and hopefully the cars will be, uh, I'll get all the panels back when I get home and get those rewrapped for San Felipe for them and get them all cleaned up and they'll be perfect. No, I, I really like that. I really like that you're, you're passionate about to the point that you recognize that you have the self-awareness that you could impact someone else's race in that regard. And yeah, a lot of people just don't live in that world today, right? They're, you know, very, you know, they're self-absorbed in what they have going and, uh, it's a funny joke. It's a funny joke, but yeah, it's important. You know I mean? You got to be comfortable. I mean, it's everything. It goes from, if, if you're a racer, I mean, all these racers can relate, you know I mean? I came from BMX and motocross and you never raced with a new helmet. You threw it on the ground, you know, it's just, you know, new driving suit, you tuck and roll. I don't know. I mean, whatever the, whatever the driving rules are, but you know, I mean, I, I drop brand new $800 ride helmets all the time. My dad just looks at me. I'm like, it's better to be on the ground than on my head. I think a lot of that stuff's mental. And, and those guys, you know, all the drivers now, they're all, they're all at their A game. And I think that anything is, and it sounds dumb, but the rap, but I think that anything can be in their head. And if you can alleviate that for your drivers, you know, as a, as whatever part of the team you are, that's, that's huge. I think not, nothing fair. So uh, before we, you know, I want to talk about like San Felipe and some upcoming stuff, but I want to actually jump back. You run in the business, you get your concrete going, you were dirt biking it. What, at what point, you know, I guess you, you know, so we're 2021. So about 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, you got into concrete. I know by, by 08, you'd started NorCal rock racing. So in that window there, you're in your twenties. How did you, I mean, were you based on location in Folsom? I assume you're recreating up on the Rubicon. I assume you're messing around in the Eldorado Forest. I, you're, you're probably still riding your moto. How did you, I guess, make the transition to get into wheeling? 
uh, concrete cubby was cranking. We're doing our thing. Oh, three was my last new bike. I didn't, t- I haven't touched a dirt bike since 2003. I've literally rode a Yamaha YZF 250 in Oh three. And that was it. I haven't seen one, haven't touched one, sat on one, started one, nothing. And about that same time, um, uh, some people know him, Rob Cook from the Rock Zombies. He was working for me as a salesman for my concrete company. We're all friends. I've known Rob since I was six years old, actually. Awesome dude. Used to announce for me. Just got burnt out with life and family. He uh, he was working for me. He's like, hey, man, you got to go wheeling. I was like, okay. Like, I've been through Sierra Trek with my dad and, and Jeepers. And there's pictures of me at, you know, five years old in the back of a G- CJ7, you know, head bobbing back there with my old man and there's some Sierra Trek pictures. My old man got life flight out of Sierra Trek. So, I mean, I've been through all those trails, Fordyce and Rubicon, you know, pre 10 years old, but not even knowing any of it. So in 03, uh, Rob's like, man, you really got in a wheel. And I was like, okay. So I'm like checking it out. And so, you know, the rock zombies, I think it started and maybe at that time, I'm not sure. And, you know, like Phil Lachardi and all those guys and uh, Phil had a buggy or Jeep for sale. Someone else had one. So I ended up buying a 79 CJ seven tub back half. Keith Bill, Papa Smurf in the wheeling community, was a fabricator working at his house, data guy, amazing fabricator. Rob Cook, he's the big, he's the big, big mother, Rob. Big Rob. He, yeah. he looks like if, like, he looks like Danny Edwards if Danny Edwards gained 200 pounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Because initially, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't know not being a rock zombie or around that crowd on any yeah. level. I got I've, those I've two guys Edwards. confused for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, Big Rob, he's he's one of the founders of, of that club. Solid dude. Yeah, so I bought this this TJ thing, dropped it off at, at Keith's garage, and, like, all we have is Pirate. You remember those days, obviously. And I'm like, I want to four-link it. I want to make it the best we can make it, right? And, you know, people are four-linking rears, and that's it. So the rear's four-linked. He figures out the front. He four-links the front. We buy a throttle body. Three, this is a 2003-ish buy a throttle body 350 sm 465 i'm like what's you know what's next you know concrete's cranking so i'm like let's just make it the best we can you know 17 inch bilsteins 42 inch tsls mrt bead locks at 50 atlas 60 14 bolt like literally i go the first time on the trail i show up this little sluice and i'm like what's the hardest thing like all i see is videos like show me this show me what the hardest part is here so I didn't have the learning curve of, you know, driving around a Toyota on 33s and struggling through the Rubicon. I showed up in a buggy and I was ready to party. That's how Wheeling started. That's awesome <laughs> though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. I'm not a rock crawler by any means, but I mean, rock racing was the first day I was out. That was me. There wasn't rock racing back then, but it was me. <laughs> in in that era, I mean, we were all on Pirate. What was your name on Pirate? It was just Goodby, Goodby. or Goodby 50, I think. Yeah. That, that's what I thought. Yeah. That was mentally what was in my picture. And, uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't in the beginning, but I was in there. I think my, I had a low number, not too super high, but, uh, we just wheeled. And that, I mean, I wheeled every weekend. Like it, it wasn't a weekend. Like I worked and left on Friday and I wheeled. That's all I did. And that's how she all started. And then, uh, I could tell you how, how NorCal started. I mean, it goes from there actually. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's what this is, right? <laughs> So I'm wheeling, doing stuff, going to Pismo and I'm at and Pismo beach. All my friends, we go there for Thanksgiving, right? This used to be huge down there. I go down there and I'm racing guys up comp hill and I got this 465. And if you know anything, anything about a granny, granny first, a second, you might as well just stop and start over. So I'm racing these guys up the hill, with the throttle bike 350. And I'm like, man, this is fun. I'm like, I got to go faster. So I get home and I got a, uh, I think I had a, a 98 Camaro. 
you know, T tops didn't have a mold back then, but it would have flowed. And, uh, <laughs> and, Not like you have today. I mean, you just yeah, walk around yeah. and you hear uh Ario speed wagon playing as it just behind you as you walk. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, I go home, I got this Camaro backed in the garage. I'm looking at the motor and I'm looking back and forth, the motor of the Jeep, Jeep Camaro back and forth. I'm like, man, they got to put these LSs in these things. Like someone's got to do this stuff. And this is like 2005 and six. I mean, LS swap in a Jeep was, as everyone knows, I mean, it was, that was, that was like, I don't even, it's like new phone, you know, it was, it was amazing. So, you know, all we had back then was eBay. So I get on eBay and I, I buy a, uh, buy an LS1 out of the Camaro with a 4060 from Florida, from a wrecking yard, probably stolen. Who knows? Kid said he owned a wrecking yard. It's eBay. I buy it. I get it. <laughs> I get it home and I'm looking. I'm like, all right, I know. I mean, I was mechanically inclined just from dirt bikes, but I, I mean, I've never, never done a motor swap. So me and my buddies, they come over and, you know, here we are swapping a LS1 to a 465 calling, we call the HAL engineering, or I think it's HAL, the computer company like H-O-W-E-L-L, not the steering. And they're the only ones that had a harness for a five wire harness for an LS. So I called them and they're like, yeah, we have them for sand cars. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to put them in this rock crawler. They're like, oh, okay. We think it'll work. I'm like, all right, sweet. We did the motor swap in my garage and went back to Pismo. And I now had an LS one, man. I was, I was king shit in a rock buggy. Right. And, and it just kept snowballing from there really. And that was like 06. And then I put an automatic in it, kept the Atlas, put a 400 in there. And then I was like, it was probably 2007. And I said, someone's got to race this stuff. Like someone's got to do this. There's racing somewhere, somewhere in this country for this stuff. Yeah. We were, we were running XRA in middle America, but, uh, you guys were kind of ahead of the curve out there on the West coast. I mean, it was not racing wise though. XRA had the game, right? So I get on those interwebs and I start searching and get on YouTube and XRA, right? So I found XRA and I'm like, oh man, and the, the vi- vivid video in my head is R.J. Brown, I believe, in the yellow truck when he endowed on the step up, right? Or yep. came up short. I think that's, that's his claim to fame also. I know he didn't much after that, but that's all I remember. <laughs> and uh, so, and I remember looking at their schedule and it said West Coast. And I'm like, they're West Coast series. And they came to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I'm like, you, you're missing some states, man. West Coast is a little farther west than that. So motocross background. Uh, I go to Prairie City, you know, Hangtown Motocross Nationals there. And and uh, at this time, uh, I think Vor, Vor was st- still running strong back then, but I didn't know what they were. I go to the state with a you know business, you know, management in my head and I write a business plan for this racing. And I'm like, I'm going to put on these races and I'm going to be the biggest promoter in this park. You know, like I think I'm going to wipe out Hangtown, you know, Hangtown AMA Motocross National. Like I think I'm going to be bigger than this. And I go in there and these guys, I'm, I, I'm 20, well, let's see. I'm like late twenties, I guess. And they're like, who's this kid? And like, well, you look like you got a good plan. We're gonna let you try it. So they give me a permit. And in 2008, October 10th, 2008, I run my first race and I literally build a motocross track with two rock piles that are like six rocks long. And there's two piles and you literally just everything you can do to get over them. And uh, that race was actually called XRRA. No, that's XRRA. It was called X2 Rock Racing because in my head, X2 Rock Racing was, I think it was extreme or something. I had a marketing buddy that was partners with me and partnerships or partnerships, but we said X2 Rock Racing because I was going to travel the country with this, right? I mean, so XT was the name. Like we were going to, we were going to take it to the next level. We did the race. I lost a bunch of money. Partnerships or partnerships, 2009. 
I got another permit with the park and I had to make a new name. NorCal Rock Racing was born. And then there you go. And there you go. How many events have you put on under NorCal name to date? Hundreds? Since then. Um, so we did the one and then 2009, the park, we did a three race. So I literally came out of the box with a three race series in 2009 and got some great traction. 2010, the park was doing park improvements and let me have one race. And then I believe Ultra 4 started in 10 or 11. And I, I lost some momentum there. I was doing real good. And then I had that one race and lost my series. And then 2011, I've done three plus ever since. Yeah, hey, st- stack them up. I mean, you do 10 years, three, I mean, 30 races. Think of how much time you have doing 30 races. Yeah. And, and what's crazy about Prairie City is we build and complete tear down just like King of the Hammers. So every race I do at Prairie City, I flatten that place back out like we were never there. Wow. <laughs> what's the diesel bill on that? Um, most, most races are anywhere from 15 to like 3000. <laughs> I can see that depending on what equipment I have. So you do the infield course at KOH. So start the start, finish the, basically the big dick in the desert. How long mm-hmm. does that take you guys to you and bird to build that every time, every year we keep on getting cut on time. So we usually, we usually plan for five days from start to finish, but now we get bigger equipment, a little bigger budget. So we're able to do things a lot faster now. But in the beginning, yeah, we we're like full six days on dozers. So speaking of, of, of equipment for each of these races, so you uh, go to lo- local rental company and have them delivered? You know. Yeah, usually I try to keep the money local, like anywhere we go, wherever, whatever race it is, I try to give the support the local economy. Um, but Caterpillar is obviously well-renowned and they got rental accounts everywhere and I have a national account. So I can rent from any cat dealership with my account and not have to go through the local dealership scramble i can just call them and give them my account number and they know we're good for credit and they just send out the equipment that's fun so you took something that you learned growing up working for you know your dad doing leveling all the dirt work from that you you said you weren't good at it but then you learned how to make jumps and ramps and basically cool shit yeah i mean i was really good with a shovel you know in the bmx days so i could build i could build you a jump just take me a week but uh yeah, it's funny. My my old man wasn't a uh, he wasn't a real teacher, and that might be maybe why I wasn't as good as I needed to be on the grading tractors. But I'm I, I would say I'm probably ninety five percent self taught in every big big piece of equipment because with the grading we don't have big equipment. So I mean now we build tracks with D sixes. I mean we never owned something that big. Our biggest dozer in fleet was like D three. Okay, okay. Yeah. Dude, so when you guys are building, let's say tracks, do you use total stations? Do you? No. It's all I, right? It's all feel. I do it all by feel. Yeah, Bird and I do it all by feel. We know what the degree feels like. And now all the new dozers got these degree gauges on the on the dash. And I'm like, man, what degree was that face? And I'm like, so then we start trying to build these degrees. And I'm like, just shut the I'm like, I put duct tape over the screen a couple of years ago because I just kept them looking at the screen, like trying to figure out what degrees I was at and make sure the blade was level. And I'm like, I don't even need this stuff. I can feel it. So I literally just cover the screen. And I mean, I have a dozer right now here. And I was like, I just want to cover the screen up because it's driving me nuts. Because every material pushes different, you know, and you can feel it. But the screen, you don't want to look at the degrees. You're like, oh, man, I'm 3% to the left. I'm like, oh, I got to fix that. But really, when you feel it, you feel it. It's all about your, it's all about the uh, butt level. In the, the, sorry, this, uh, <laughs> I brought it up the other day. Um, <laughs> the butt dyno. And yeah, the butt dyno, butt level. Now that I've, now that that got, got into my head, that was, you know, Mike Mills said that to me in a conversation. I was like, I've never heard that before. Now I've heard it like 10 times in the last week. Like, was I just yeah. not listening before? 
<laughs> like <laughs> went right by you. Yeah, I, I wasn't there. I mean, I think I would have caught that, but I didn't. So yeah. what is the big show that they put out in Vegas? It's like every two years, every five years, not like concrete world or whatever, but it's the big con heavy Expo. show. It's the con expo. That's it. Yep. Every three years, every three years. And then was it supposed to be last year and they canceled it because of COVID? They shut it down in the middle of it in COVID. Yep. There's something like that. And I mean, the equipment, I mean, you can go out and basically get in. Everyone hauls in everything. There's, oh yeah. It's the, it's, it's SEMA for, for construction. It, yeah. Something else. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I, I do like, I do like, you know, running a dozer much better in a skid steer, but I will, I'll run a dozer. I can run a track. if someone will give me one, but the building of the tracks, like, I don't think I could get, you know, as I see, like not the jumps, I, the jumps would be easy. I could do jumps. It's the banked, the banks that you guys do. Yeah. I'm very much in awe of that. You don't lay it out that it's freehand and you're, you, you push until you get it right. I'd be out there with like a, a roll of a, a roll of string. I'd probably <laughs> drive in a piece of rebar and then get my sweep so that I know that it's a, uh, you know, it's either, you know, perfect 150 foot, you know, uh horseshoe or it doesn't open or close at the end, you know, like, uh, or, yeah, or you make sure uh, it closes and then you roll everybody as they come around and they hang their ear out. I don't know. Yeah. We've had some turn twos like that and on the lake bed just because of, of space restrictions. But, uh, you know, and bird and I, we were, I mean, if you ever watched us build, I mean, we look like two, two drunk people on dozers. Like we crisscross each other. I mean, sometimes we bump, you know, do a little bump and run, but I mean, between him and I, like, I mean, we know we're at all the time and, and, you know, we rough, you know, I help him rough everything in and he's pretty much to the point now that he just finishes everything. It's, it's hard to have multiple, multiple people finish in turns or jumps. So he's pretty much handled ticking that over and just finishes everything up and then I'll either get on the water truck or something else. And, you know, and I just let him do his thing and, and he kills it. I mean, we, 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 we've got to the point that the jumps and the lips and we've got to the point that all the cars fly somewhat flat. I mean, long as I mean, everyone's suspension tuning at this point, but back in the day, I mean, with a nose divers, but now, now, I mean, the tabletop we built this year was insane. I mean, the video clips of everyone just going for the distance, it was, it was, was amazing. And it's, and it's cool to watch, you know, it's a finished product for us and, and everyone enjoys it and, and the cars fly and, it's, it's what it's all about. One, you're giving the racers what they want. You're really giving the fans what they want. And then you're giving the marketing partners what they want. Those constant yep. videos and clips and pictures of their racers, their cars, whatever sponsor that they have dollars behind and they have skin in the game sailing. I mean, sailing. Yep. And, and I want to say it was, uh, oh, who's, uh, who's Cody Addington's, uh, marketing guy, uh, Robert Mansfield. Robert yeah. Mansfield, he put together, he, I, I'm fairly sure it was Robert. Uh, I think he, I know what clip you're talking about. He clipped who, who went uh -huh. further and it was, uh, he did it for the other races, but the 4400s, I yeah. want to say, was it Marcos went the furthest? Like, yeah, Marcos went big. Yeah. So did, yeah, Lauren went big. I mean, everyone, I mean, it, it's just, it's, 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 um, it's rad to see. And it's, it's cool to watch the guys actually take off with their foot in it. You know, I mean, to see the guys actually just, you know, do something cool for the fans. And for everything else, you know, the content that comes out of, out of it's amazing. Can we do something? Can I make a request? And, you know, <laughs> I make requests all the time and Dave will tell me, fuck you, Wyatt, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but which some of them are, you know, a little crazy. What about, uh, you know, you can get the, you know, the like football field marking or baseball marking little thing yeah. with white and mark us off some, uh, 
a 25, 50, 75, 100, 120 yep. down the face of your jump. And then on the live show, we go, oh, and, and you may, maybe uh, get Tribe or Cody Wagner with LaserNet to burn out some, you know, two foot or three foot tall distance markers. Yeah. Spray painted and then stake them into the ground. Yeah. And so when the camera see them, they'd be like, oh, you know, probably insurance would be like, no, you're really trying to push them all the way until they wreck. Somebody's going to go, go big. Yeah. You know, whose race is over in the first <laughs> 500 I wanted, feet. To, I wanted to do a show like that mixed into the hammers, you know, with, I mean, with every night there's something packed, you know, like, you know, you get the front door, back door shootout, whatever it's called, whatever year it is. And, you know, like you have all these nights of things going on. I've always wanted to do something on that and create a real short course. And the idea has been, been tossed out there and, you know, it may have came out that there was a slug bug race this year under the lights, which, I mean, I'm going to say that I'm pretty sure that came out of my mouth, just not with slug bugs. <laughs> so that thing was one point awesome. in time, uh, it was cool, but I think I could pack that place. If we did like a two lap fastest lap, short course, long distance jump in those two laps and just fill that place up, you know, and have something just super rad under the lights. Do you remember the Laughlin leap? I do remember the Laughlin leap. I watched many times. They judge how far the, tr- you know, and was it at King night? Would- King would put the markers out and it'd be longest distance and King would throw some money at it. And yeah, I mean, that's literally been, the, been my plan for a while. And, and JT was, you know, go with it. Dave was kind of good with it. And we just, uh, there's just so much stuff packed on the week. And, you know, like, I feel like this is going to sound bad to all the racers, but if we did it on early in the week, if your car broke in those two hot laps, you weren't going to make it anyway, man. Like, sorry for your luck. But like, at least you had a chance to lay it all out there and, you know, maybe win some real money and, and be part of a show that, you know, you may be a, a you know, a top 20 guy, but you know, you're not in, you're not in the show at the same time. So it'd be something cool to highlight, but you know, it fell through and now we got, you know, 15 events in a 10 day period. Now, unfortunately at the hammers and you can only ask people to be on that lake bed for so many days. Yeah, it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Yeah. I mean, Bird and I did 22 days this year. I've done the longest I've spent is 31, which I'll never do again, but, uh, we're going to definitely cut that down. We did some work for some properties around there for a week this year, but, uh, we're going to definitely cut that down to like 11 or 12 days for here on out. I just can't do it anymore. Well, I want to get off on a sidetrack tangent here. Yep. I'd seen, you know, I've got a pre-runner that's, you know, a street runner. Uh, it's not real. I wouldn't, it's not a real runner i mean i guess it does have 18 inches of front and rear travel on 40 so it's it gets after it it likes it likes the hammers but you mm-hmm. also have a pre-runner i love your pre-runner <laughs> tell us about this bad boy white chevy it's uh yeah oh three chevy cat eye uh extended cab four-wheel drive uh 20 i don't know 26 28 inches of travel in the rear trailing arms it's a dr dt tech front end bypass coilover package 16 or 18 inches of travel in the front bumps in all four corners five three just a stock five three ish full sleeper truck i mean full cage full cage brian kirby did an amazing dash in it for me Hall efi dash all embedded aluminum the original fabricator was uh nvf fab out of uh not san luis obispo but then that area the same fabricator that builds rugged radios crazy builds um, his name's Nick, uh, amazing fabricator. Never met him. Bought bought the kid from a tr- or the truck from a kid that it was his high school truck, and Nick had worked on it here and there. And it was it was supposed to be a Deaver Deaver bed kit, and it ended up in the whole back half. And 
And uh, I think Sandy Sandy Cohen had his hands in the geometry and the trailing arms and the shocks, and it's all sleeper. The shocks are under the bed. You don't even see them. Carries 237s in the rear, some ammo cans, uh, fuel cell, tranny coolers. Literally, I mean, I've had a bunch of cars in the off-road world, and it's literally the hands down the funnest thing I own in my fleet. The same thing I say about mine. Funnest thing ever. But so I knew you had one. I didn't know what yours was though. I do, but I knew you had this pre-run because I'd only seen videos from inside of it. So I knew that it, I knew that it was white, but I didn't put it together. So there I am. I'm walking through hammer town and this looks like aside from it has pretty big tires underneath it. It sits pretty stockish in height, like uh, height. It's not, it's not lifted. It's not real high, but it does sit low in the rear and you're like, okay, that's, it's got something going. So there I am walking. I think I was on my way over to the fun haver compound to see Lauren who ends up never being there because he's got a very scheduled up media, uh, uh, you know, circus of a week. But, uh, as I'm walking by, I see it, see, see this truck and I'm this cat eye and I'm checking out, I pull out my phone. I take a couple of pictures. I see the, that it's linked and I'm like, man, cause yeah, I'd love to do that to mine. You know, wow. It's full caged. And that here's, Hey, <laughs> Hey, and I look over and I'm like, what? And it, it's, it, I, I could tell I'm the one being yelled at at this point. And it's yeah. you, you hang your head out there. You're eating lunch and you saw my reflection off of a vehicle next to it. And you're like, who's looking at my truck and you saw my hat and you knew exactly who it was. So you go to harass me like, Hey, you, yeah. you did totally scared me, invited me in for lunch. Uh, I didn't end up eating with you, but hung out with you for a, li- a little bit. And then we talked about the truck, but, and then we went out and you let me kind of crawl all over it and inside it and man that is it's nice like it's it's an amazing truck you know prp made some made some awesome seats for it and then uh when we got it we gutted it down um jason vanderveen from b2 wire he went through gutted like normally my projects i'm pretty uh i'm pretty thorough so first when i first got it it went down to kirby you know brian kirby down south you know he preps adler's cars and whatnot and amazing fabricator you know built one of the first ifs cars out there Took it down them there. He did the dash. His guys gutted the bottom, prepped it, weld washers, made sure everything was all good because I knew nothing about any of it. Made sure the rack was good in it the, or the steering assist that was in there and prepped it all. Took the shocks to King, did all did all that, you know, that groundwork for me. And I brought it home and then uh, I wanted to rewire it, put some Holly stuff in it. And, you know, they're a great supporter of us. And so... I dropped it off at Jason's house and, and I'm like, all right, man, we're just going to, we're going to rip the harness out of it, motor harness. And we're just going to, you know, clean up some stuff. Well, it turns into a full painless kit, full Holly kit, strip everything out, re relight, you know, rewire everything from front to back. You know, Holly sends out some intake and injectors and we pull the timing cover off. I'm like, Hey man, let's just put a cam in this thing, you know, still keep it a five, three and didn't want to put a bunch of power in it. Cause I didn't want to deal with the, you know, transfer case and the 4060 blowing up. So I was trying to keep it somewhat mild because in the dirt, it's a rock star and asphalt. It's not, I mean, you probably driven plenty of vehicles like that. And uh, so we get into it, pull the timing cover off. And I swear the kid told me he had the motor rebuilt at some point in time. I have no idea how many miles were on the truck itself. Pull the timing cover off and it looked like a Pennzoil commercial. It was full of sludge and whatnot, or a Jiffy Lube commercial where those old ones were younger. And I was like, well, well, your exhaust bolts and uh, tranny bolts away from pulling it out. So we yarded it, took it to my motor guy. My motor guy's amazing. I'm like, well, let's just clean it up. So here we are, full rebuild on a 5.3, cam in it, cleaned up the heads, uh, all Holly uppers. And then, you know, Holly owns uh, STS turbos. 
So I call um, the VP over there and I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think about one of those STS exhaust turbos? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I want to build this pre runner I'm building and I think about doing a single turbo. And he's like, all right, I'll send you one out. You know, I'm like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. So, <laughs> so a box shows up at Jason's house and he opens it up and he goes, what is this? And I'm like, well, you know, you need a little power. So it's running five pounds of boost, uh, STS exhaust turbo in the back behind the, behind the cab and a uh, little mild cam. And it's rad. I mean, I, w- I mean, I know what it'd be like to have big power, but big power comes big bills and, I want to take, I want to go into the Cabo on that thing and just have a good time. And if it breaks down, I can find out a three Chevy with a transfer case or a tranny and put it in there and get home. So that's, that's my plan. Yeah. It's reli- reliable and fun. So have you had it in Mexico yet? Nope. no. Nope. I, uh, I've literally finished it. We got done wiring and, and tuned and James Goldfield you had on the other day. He, he did some tuning on it and, uh, I brought it to the hammers with like four miles on it and I left the hammers with 252. Yeah. That, and that was <laughs> Now, uh, I ran into you over at, uh, Gomez brothers, maybe a day or two later, the guys over there were working on, working on something on your back end. What was that about? Yeah. Well, like you're saying earlier, the rear was a little low. So, um, Aribe, I went out and chalked him with King and as I drove it more, the rear started fading a lot more. So I needed more spring in the rear. So we, you know, we used to go over there to, to the boys and, you know, everyone's got a full service truck with a crane in their pit. So it's just, you know, convenient to go over there and with that much travel in the rear, I couldn't get the shocks off at King. I mean, their, their big old Jack wouldn't even lift it up high enough. So we, we hung it with the crane and pulled it off and put some springs on it. And it's, a, I mean, it's better. It's still, it still needs some love it needs, you know, it's an older build. So it's got small bypasses on it. So it needs some real shocks for what it is, man. And, and what I'm into it, it's, it's fun. It's amazing. Yeah. They're, they're good. I can't imagine. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. So I, I, I actually bought a daily driver here recently to stop putting miles on my pre runner. I, I don't plan in, I don't intend to ever sell the thing. I, I absolutely love it. It's the funnest vehicle I've ever owned in life. And I've just hit 83,000 miles on it and it's a 13. And I'm like, I'm putting a hundred miles on it a day with our, you know, we moved offices and, um, 50 miles each way. I'm like, this is stupid. This is stupid to be wearing, wearing out a truck. I plan to keep forever on four and wearing out 40 inch tires, a hundred miles yeah. a day. This is, this is stupid. So I got something else, but yeah, like but back to your truck. That's, they are so much fun. Yeah. And it's sleeper. It's all in 37s. It won't fit forties. I don't think. Yeah. It's, 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 it's rad. It's, it's a fun truck. And I mean, I have a 4,400 car that, you know, I built when I, you know, had gone a car accident and quit racing or didn't get to race it. And, yeah, it's rad. I mean, I I want to go Mojave Trail. I, I just want to I want to drive it. I want to do some cool stuff. I just want to you know like Phil takes the Gladiator out, Lachardi takes Gladiator out and does his overlanding stuff. Like I want to do that, but I got no one to do it with. So I got to find someone to buy a pre runner. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, no, I mean seriously, I think what you're talking about: fix your rear springs, do the bypasses, and then get get one of those rooftop get a rooftop tent for it. Hang it yeah. just just below the top of the cab. Take that thing to Mexico. Park it on the beach. That's what I want to do to mine. It, I mean, now that I've got it retired from daily duty, that's what yeah. it needs. It it needs, if I want to take my kids and go over to, uh, you know, the beach here and, uh, stay the night and go camping or whatever, dude, we've got it. You know, we've got a, a fun vehicle for it, but yeah, I've got a, I got a brand new, uh, area, Robert from area BFE gave me a brand new pop-up tent. One of his actually at Moab, uh, the Gomez brothers brought it home for me and I was going to put it on the gladiator we built, but, uh, 
pre-runner is an option too, you know, to do that. So I'm pretty excited. I'm not like a big overlander, but I mean, JT and I've talked about the trip and, you know, either doing it in razors with a chase truck or pre-runners, you know, and, you know, JT's got 19 projects too. So he can't, he can't stay concentrated on one just like me. I have a group that, you know, we want to do it. And I mean, JT knows Mexico and I'm getting to know it now. And I think it'd just be amazing. And, you know, and I don't want to do the drive back because everyone dreads the drive back as prima donna as that sounds, but there's plenty of trucks to go to Cabo empty or go full and they come back empty. So, you know, get down there and, you know, send the trucks back to San Diego or Ensenada and take a flight and, and enjoy your trip home and spend a couple of days in Cabo and just have a good time. I mean, I, I'm not a big relaxer, but I feel like that's on my list. Hey, keep me in mind for that. And then I'll, <laughs> I mean, give me enough heads up. And I may start making them the modifications to my truck for something like, like that. I mean, I, you know, we're, Goal oriented. I, I posted a video earlier because it came from uh, All German Motorsports. They put up a video. Yeah, I got. You know, on their, I'm on their news newsletter list. I think a lot of people are, but it's AGM and it's prep. And it doesn't. And he starts out. It doesn't matter if you have three months or three weeks or three days to prep. That's how long your prep's going to take. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you give me if you give me a heads up, like I'll start getting you know some stuff going. Like okay, white six months. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I'll order stuff, but then it's going to happen in like the last six days. So, but I just yeah. need to know when that's going to be. For sure, yeah. Like, I mean, I want to do it. And, you know, Dave's always Dave's always in for an adventure like that. That's right up his alley, you know. And we, we have a great relationship, so that that kind of stuff works. And Dave's got tons of assets down there, and so does JT. So it's like I want to go with someone that has that ability and has those resources, you know. And I mean, I'm all about the adventure, but the adventure alone is not, you know, that, that's an adventure, but it's a different, not not my type. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And then, you know, the Hartmans live down there now. Yeah, Hartmans are down there. And, you know, I mean, I got I got some buddies in Cabo. They used to be my vacation spot. So I got some friends that are farther down if I, you know, had to reach out. And, and uh, but, yeah, that's why I want, you know, I want to do resorts. I want to camp. I want to, you know, camp on the beach, do the resort, you know, like vice versa. You know, not, I don't want to go down and stay in five-star resorts, but I don't want to go down and, and camp every night either. You know, I want that happy, happy medium mix, you know, get a shower here and there and, you know, I got to spend, you know, 14 days and at the thousand with Raul last year. So I got to run San Catin. I got to run all the San Catin, I don't know, six times. This We did quite a bit of pre-running. So I know I know the one the one pretty well right now, at least the San Catin. So I'm pretty <laughs> solid there. I pretty much know every taco stand we get food for the guys. <laughs> but out, but outside of that stretch, we're, we're, we're on our own. Yeah, well, I, I can cross over to San Felipe. I know, I know that side too, and I know the sketchy power line road to get over there. That's that's always interesting. Three in the morning, so you brought up, you know, ultra. Well, we brought forty four hundred. Yeah, you raced King of the Hammers a couple times, three times back uh, yeah, in the nine, early days, nine, ten, and eleven. Yeah, and how did that work out for you? Yeah, so that's that's uh, that's a good story. So I don't nine. I just I LCQ. You know, back then, back then, you know, it was a, it was a not the fastest hundred guys, but the, the top hundred guys that could qualify. Right. I mean, it wasn't, it was a hundred cars and that was it. There was no give, there was no, no extra qualifying anywhere else. So, I mean, it's either you're qualified or you LCQ and the LCQ was like 25 to 40 cars back then. It was insane. You know, I mean, I remember when Lauren showed up and knowing who he was and the guy qualifies the LCQ and wins. But, uh, so I was in that realm and, and I don't know what nine was, but I'm, I'm going to pretty sure 10, 10 was the year that I think I qualified my car four times. <laughs> well, how's that work? <laughs> well, you know, so, you know, this is how Roxy and I relationship started up, you know, she just used to do the staging lineup. So she had a bullhorn. She's out there yelling, you know, you can't see her over a tire, but she's out there yelling. So you hear this noise. I feel like you just and, called her short. Uh, 
poor Roxy. So I, I line up and yeah, with the first qualifying run, I think I roll. Something happens, I roll. Set so, and then uh one of the runs I get all the way to back door and Dave and Jeff was back there back then and they stopped me right at the bottom of the back door and they're like, Hey, we gotta wait for this recovery. Like they literally stopped me in the middle of my qualifying run. Not like nowadays where everyone gets to restart and go all over. Like I sit at the bottom of the back door and wait for these guys to clear a car. So we're just sitting there, you know, trucks overheating because that's how it was back then. And and we're sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And we one shot back door, right? Which is was, you know, something didn't happen back then. Slauson. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that's so Randy's I, I the only one. Night before with Slauson, right? Yeah, so right. Slauson are one shotting back door. We get to the second ledge and we're going right. So in 2010, like right line was like the night before was amazing. Right line was killer. During qualifying that day, everyone was going left line. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to do what I pre-ran. I go right line, what I do fully upside down on the roof in front of everybody, you know, all by myself, stand on top of the car, you know, just literally had a killer qualifying run. They're like, you're like in the top, whatever, you know, I got to that point at the bottom back door. They had my time stop. They're like, you're killing it. You're going fast, you know? So I roll, whatever. And then I find, I think it was Tim Emick from the Emick, Dustin and Tim Emick, the brothers, and then Tim had a qualify an LCQ spot, but didn't get his car done. So what do we do? We get in my car, change, tell Dave, hey, I can't want time to change the numbers, but Tim's going to qualify my car. So I get in the passenger seat of my own car, never sit, never sat over there. And Tim and I reline up like 30 cars later. And Roxy's like, what is going on? I'm like, don't worry about it. We're here. We're, just, we're doing <laughs> <And> laps. <laughs> yeah, we're just doing laps. <laughs> we're on lap two. Different drivers. <laughs> so Tim, so I ride in the passenger seat and I think, I don't know, we didn't, we didn't qualify. I don't, I don't even know what happened at that point. And then uh, Kevin Yoder had a spot, and him and I are both on pit bull tires. Mike was helping us out, and Kevin didn't have his car done. So I called Kevin. I'm like, get your butt down here, man. Like, I, I'm all, you got a spot? I got a car. <laughs> so he drives all night, night before the race on Thursday. He gets down there, and I start the first lap, and I go for it. And that's the year we all sat in our limits for I don't know how many hours, maybe like 10. I brought the car back in the first lap, and I, I think I started 98th. And I brought the car in like the mid thirties and gave it to Kevin. And I said, here, good, good luck, man. They had like one break, electrical issues, like car was broken half. You know, I pre-ran coming out of Sunbonnet on the back section there and on that big desert section. Yeah. Well, it was smooth when I pre-ran. So Not I tell so my much. co-driver, Hey man, like we're all good. I know where we're at. I hit him like this. Hold on, man. This is what I do. Like I'm good at going fast. <laughs> and we made it about halfway, th- halfway down across the thing. And we bucked in Bronco and the truck was flat. Obviously the, you know, and then we hit so hard that it flexed the chassis so hard that it the alternator hit the upper link and smashed the brake line and ripped it off. But at full bump, that was like three and a half inches away. So <laughs> yeah. So I bring the car to Kevin. I'm like, we need brakes and this and that and blah blah blah. And he gets out there and gets top of Jack North or Jack or somewhere up there and just the thing just quits. Fuel pumps don't want to run. I mean, but we had a good run, it was fun. And then uh I think that, that must have been 2011 because 2010, I got the hard luck award. Do you remember that? I do. I do remember yep. getting that. So I, I mean, was, I didn't so, get it, but yeah, I remember that being given out. Yep. So I ran. So I ran. I got up back door, obviously, went over the top. We, we turned right over the sand hills at, I broke an axle in the over school bus or whatever that, whatever that route was at that time. So I was in three wheel drive and uh, Jeff and Dave were like, you're not going to make it. I'm like, I'm going to make it. So we winch 
back door and the second ledge, my leave my co-driver like this. No one left their co-drivers back then, but I did. <laughs> and uh, so I get up. He's like, you're not going to make up the sand hill. I'm like, my ass, I'm going to get up the sand hill. So I get up the top of the sand hill. And I'm so excited. And I drop down the backside and I'm going left to go towards uh, whatever that little trail is. We dropped down back then. I don't remember the name. But uh, and I blow a front right tire, 42 inch pit bull. So now I got a flat and I got to drop off. Not tank trap. What's that trail right there? It's uh, not yeah, short like bus. Drop is off it? to the passenger side. Not short no. bus. No, no, it's on the back side. Oh. Pass resolution. Gosh, what is the name of that trail? I, I'm There's terrible. A big boulder on the right hand side, but when you drop that ledge, you, you. I mean, I had a front right flat. So, dude, I hit that rock so hard, I thought it came into the car, and. Uh, I do the whole rest of the desert section. It's all twist and turn with a front right flat tire. And I get to the finish line. And Dave's like, you made it. You know, everyone's cheering. Yep. I was a fat kid in dodgeball. <laughs> Hard luck award. Last one, not to qualify. Literally Dave. all that prep and time. And, and Dave's like, just be ready. Be ready at the starting line. Someone's not going to show up. You can race. So here I am on the schoolyard waiting full, full dress for prom waiting Everyone starts and Dave just looks at me. Sorry, bro. Like, oh, that was that was my KOH career. Just and then I was building, U-turn. Yeah. And then that was it. That's all she wrote. I was building a new car and and uh had some other life stuff happen and and then yeah, I mean that's it. That's KOH. <laughs> and now I build it or build the short course or whatever. KOH in that show. so you go back you went you go back to NorCal, you still got your NorCal series going on. Yep. And somewhere in there you actually went and invested in a good timing system. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to make it more legit and stopwatches weren't cutting it and everyone was kind of having timing issues and ultra four was kind of still, I don't know what, if they were really kicking the series off yet, but uh, yeah. So I went and found a timing system for motocross and, and I spent the money and, and taught myself and did some online classes and went for it. And Dave's like, Oh man, you got transponders. I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you come time my races? I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't know what I'm doing, but we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, at least we have something that's better than a stopwatch. And that was, uh, that was definitely, uh, there's not enough money in this world to time a race for Dave Cole. I love Dave Cole. <laughs> we have a great relationship, but he wants his results in two minutes after the race. And there's, there's too many, too many things, too many things you, if the transformers aren't reading or one's not reading or one falls off, there's just too many variables. And, uh, I, I never want to put someone on the podium wrong. And, and I fought and fought and fought to make sure that didn't happen. And it happened here and there, but, uh, yeah, it was a very timing is, it's insane, man. It's, it's the most important part of a race, no matter what you do or say that makes or breaks everything. And, and obviously over time we've had that trial and error, right? Yeah. That's and So that's kind of, I knew who you were for the longest time but not knew you knew you. And then, uh, was it the 29, sorry, 2019 King of the hammers? Mm-hmm. Was that the bat or is 2020? They blend together 2020 where, uh, yeah, 2020 was the one where between Marcos and Eric Miller and Josh Blyler, Blyler wins, Marcos rips the arm off and it comes down to, you know, Eric being, you know, second place until, a day later, you know, when, when yeah. we figure out, figure out the timing that there was this, uh, no, so, it, it was actually more than that because JT sends, sends me the, uh, well, people are going all the way to YouTube and they're, they're going off the live feed and they're checking it across there. And then, oh, yeah. you know, people are, you know, hounding JT. And at that point people were coming to me that if it weren't, 
I'm going to tell you, Talent Tank would have never launched had it not been for the issues around hammers that year. People like drivers want, they wanted a, a place to talk, like to, and not, not get they needed a voice. They needed a voice. And, and I was already kind of in that spot. And I'm, I'm, you know, have had, uh, you know, a good relationship with Dave and a bad relationship with Dave. And currently Dave and I are on the outs, but those fences will get mended or bridges will get built back. I'm not worried about that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're both good guys and, but we're both hardheads. So I get that. So town tank wouldn't have existed. It had not been for that, but so JT, you know, I'm there's texting, maybe going about, or maybe it was a phone call and JT goes, man, I've got the spreadsheet. Let me, let me send it to you. And he goes, it's verified. You know, we're good. And he sends it to me and within five minutes and I'm by the way, Dave is an Excel guru too. So Dave just hadn't seen the thing because uh, within the first five minutes of me looking at it, I was like, Hey, uh, you've got Marcos looks like he leaves the line at, I don't know, 29th spot. And it was yeah. some other car. And, and I'm like, this jumps out here. The, and you just, you run some, some split, some little formulas off the times and you realize it throws red flags. And there was like five cars that had red flag issues. I go back to JT and you guys knew of like three of them and two of them weren't known, but so, then Marcos was one of them. And it was like, it changed the podium. And it, it, so it was like, I don't want. So the best part about that before you go any farther is I, the last year that we timed and I, my team timed was 2019. Yeah. It was the, it was the, it yeah. It, it, but, but you were, but you were thrown under the bus initially. Uh, all, I, all I did in 2020 was supply the transponders. Yeah. That's that, that was it. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so, um, so there was that. And so it was a problem and everyone's like, you know, the, the sanctity of the results, right. Was, you know, was, was challenged. Yeah. And that was a, that was a thorn in, yeah, I know that was a thorn in Dave's side, but it was also sure. this, this issue with, you know, the drivers. And then even then the sponsors, you know, cause there was, I think there was something they'd put out you know, press releases like, Hey, you know, we, and then it turns out they didn't win some things along those lines. Well, then what we had another, we had a timing issue the very next race. And then it was like, okay, we ended up with, with, with USAC, but yeah. that I'm happy with USAC. I think that was the, a smart call. Right? USAC's not there anymore, but yes. Yeah. But it was, it was removing, it was re- de-risking U4 de-risking it, right? Do U4 yeah. was able to look and say, we have this neutral third party verifying this isn't us we're going to take their results which versus handling in-house but there's a cost to that right and i get safe trying to save the cost yeah but you ended up and i'm all going down this path because john goodby ends up being the one who looks ends up being the scapegoat yeah and and that wasn't it at all no yeah and my thing is it goes back to like we talked about the rap stuff earlier about graphics and stuff is like i had skin in the game right these are my these are my friends my peers you know, a lot of these guys I see outside, you know, of the world and they race my series, you know, and I, and, and I can say and tell <laughs> this year at a side-by-side event, which was a whole different ball game. I never put the wrong top three on the podium ever at a NorCal race, you know, and we had some, you know, bumps and, and scrapes and at Ultra four stuff. And I don't know if I could ever take a hundred percent blame of any of those, but I had skin in the game and that, and it mattered to me, but I was never, but I'm never, I'm, I'm black and white, right? It's, it's, there's no gray area. Timing's timing. And I don't, I mean, I can, I can manipulate whatever I wanted to in that system, but there was never that way. And, and I wanted the guys to have a fair race and, and be treated and, and they're paying the money to be there and, and they should have a legit scoring system. That's how it all started, you know? And, and it is hard because 
you know, if it's, if it's a muddy race, you can't read the cars, you can't, you can't get your manual back up a hundred percent. And like, I mean, I always had a team scoring with me and David always, you know, there was, you have, you have too many people or, you know, whatnot, or why is this person here? And like, because we need a team, this takes a team. Everyone's here and they're spending the money because it's the most important part. You know, you, you can't, there's no, you can't be a gray area in timing. So I'm, I'm glad someone else is doing it. And the amount of, the amount of time and effort that I have in it or have in it, with them, it, there's not enough money in the world to stress no. for that. It's just, it, there's not. No. And, and you brought, you brought some of the cruxes, the issues, it, you know, it's not like we're road racing Porsches here. It's not at all. It's no. your off-road racing sledgehammers and you're bashing yeah. them on rocks or you go to an East coast race and you're running them through what we saw this past week, you know, just mud slop, you know, these guys look like I, I, I saw the a video on uh, the internet of, of ultra four racing from Kentucky and it was pigs rolling around in the mud. That's, I mean, and you figure the transponder and it reading correctly every time. So the scoring guys have to, some cars, if they didn't read, they, they've got to look at a clock and throw in a manual entry and that, you know, there's some accuracy to that and some inaccuracy to that. It's something's better than nothing, but it's not foolproof. And, and I think, uh, we need to step back and like, look at that and go, is there a better system out there? have we made the best system out of the best system that's out there? And this is still where we're at and we should be okay with this is what it is. And I think that's at least for me, I think that's where it got. I mean, um, I've ran down some of the issues there, were, you know, nationals and what I saw out of the USAC stuff was they kept not, not only did they have the transponder, if the transponder didn't work, they had redundancy with a, a video. They had video sitting at start finish yep. and the times were synced up. So I, I was like, okay, it was very cool to see the transparency in ultra four making that change to lend confidence back to timing. So you, you mentioned USAC's not there anymore. So fill me in. Um, there's a new, there's a new company. It's live, live timing. I think it is. It's who they are. Um, the guys are software programmers. They know their system. Um, they seem to be legit. They're still working through some of the stuff, but, um, I think it's good. I mean, I literally, I mean, I just look at him. I just laugh. I watched the guy Moab run up and down the start finish line, make sure when a transponder's on, make sure they're working, you know, I, and I did that at KOH. I did it every race and uh, I don't envy what they're doing, but it's, a, it is, I don't think it's USAC anymore. I think it's, uh, I think it's called live timing and the guys seem legit. I talked to him and I questioned him and, you know, I played dumb and he didn't know who I was. So I got to answer, ask questions that I didn't know anything about and act like I didn't know anything about what they were doing. And he, he answered all the questions correctly. So, the thing is, is, is anyone that's not in the industry or in our, in our in our field, if there is a non-read and the camera and it's, and it's a mud car and you can't read it and you don't know that car, you don't know it's Eric Miller's front end. That that I mean, thankfully the backup camera or the camera footage and JT can figure that out. Obviously, I mean he knows the cars just as well as anyone else. That's part of the hard part, you know. Absolutely, and you know, so we. I mean, you see out of Kentucky, but I'll say, uh, the first place I saw that being used, the Michael mechanical and I'll th- throw him in here, uh, uh Alan O'Neill at nationals. That was kind of his job. What I witnessed was the start finish guys. If they didn't get a read and he was the one, he knew what the cars were. He knew who the driver was and he would call out who it was. And then if the transponder was correct, right. Th- they got this check, right? Yeah. That's who it was. But if it didn't read, they already had the name, but I can imagine, you know, miles and Pam go through that, especially like a race, like we just saw out of rush Kentucky where after turn two or turn three, you know, just after where, uh, where handsome Jay rolls, the cars are, they're all Brown. 
right? You have to, at that point you need to, you're going off of silhouette, um, you know, the shape, like you can tell, you know, a Trent fab car from a Miller car from, uh, but a lot of them still look the same once they're all rolled around in the same brown mud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was, that was the shark fin thing that JT brought in, you know, the shark fin in the back of the cars, but the problem with the manual backup is if you are, you look at the shark fin, that's not an accurate time either. You know, you already missed them by seconds. Yeah. They're already guys, they're all so they're all so competitive now that the races are coming down to seconds. Seconds matter. You know, what did the San Felipe two fifty a week in a, a week ago? It came down to Menzies winning over 280 miles over Luke McMillan. He won. If I, that, I, I may be wrong. Somebody's going to correct me and yell at the radio right I now. Know, yeah. I think it was like 28 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I watched, I mean, Phil Burton in a UTV, you know, best of desert champion, multi-years in a row. I watched him come from the back of the pack and win by 20 seconds after Vegas to Reno. I mean, just all the racing and all the fields, the guys, everyone's just stepped up their game. So that, that it's important, you know, in ultra four, best of the desert score, whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's definitely insane. And that's why I do short course. That's why, you know, we ventured out and had some desert stuff, Dave and I, and, and that didn't go well for us. And it wasn't our forte. And, we let that go and, and, but short courses, it's easy. It's, it's, you get lap traffic, but you know who wins. It's, it's not that hard to mess up. And really the, we use the transponders just for lap times. So people can know how fast they are, how fast they are, you know, and qualify and do some other cool stuff with it. And, and, but that's why I like short course. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I dread doing endurance races as, as, as a promoter at the top, you know, I mean, helping is one thing, but endurance or desert is not, doesn't sound fun. The logistics, none of that, none of that sounds a very amazing short course is easy. It's spectator friendly, you know, and, and one, two, three is pretty, pretty easy to distinguish. So what do you think about the gas series? The gas? I mean, I think it's good. I mean, there's a void to be filled, right? I mean, a bunch of people try to jump on the bandwagon of filling that void and, and I'll be the first to admit that I flew down a couple weeks before King of the Hammers and looked at all the same tracks and, you know, I thought about us, you know, SoCal series or however you want to, you know, SoCal rock racing or SoCal anything. Um, but logistically for me, I mean, Northern California is my home and I mean, I've kind of owned the Northern California area and, and, and short course racing and I don't have the time or, or the, or the, I guess the drive to do another series down there. So I'm glad they, they picked it back up and it looks like they had a good turnout. I don't know what, what gas is going to make, better than lucas did but there's a void to be filled and i you know i wish the best for him and i know dave's behind the scenes and and the guys the same crews are running it so it shouldn't be that far off of lucas oh gotcha well that's what i thought but i, I didn't know if they had you involved with uh with, with track maintenance yeah no track we talked about it for a little bit but they they have all their old guys and um i mean i, I honestly don't have time to you know prep all those tracks and, and everything we do and yeah, they, Dave introduced me to the, the other guy, and and he's like, right, well, "What are you gonna do for maintenance?" And he said he get, he's got a whole Lucas crew. I said, "Cool, ten four, that works for me." Yeah, freeze me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, and and to me, I used to do a lot of stuff for Dave, and I still do Dave. You know, help him out, and, and it's it's for fun. You know, it's not a business, and, but at this point, that, that kind of venture would be a full business decision, and I don't think they'd like those numbers on paper. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone likes those numbers on, on, on paper, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean you got to prep the track and water it? <laughs> yeah, e e exactly. So, um, 
I've got a handful more, more questions here as I get to the end of the session, but I want to jump into, uh, it's basically been my show. I've asked you everything you, you know, I wanted to know, uh, is there anything that, uh, that you want to bring up Ain't, that would cover everything that you want to cover? And I'll go into my last, last things I want to get out of you. No, I think we're good. I mean, just, so what makes a good course in your opinion, a good ultra, I, I'm going to qualify that not, not a desert course, not a short course in ultra four. What makes it, and I, I bring this up in the context of we've got to move nationals. There's a conversation about, you know, dr- the drivers love Oklahoma, but it sucks for everything else, right? Hotels, spectators, it's just, it's not the good for that. Reno, Reno seemed like it had everything, right? Wild West had great for spectators. The crews love it. It was really hard on cars. That was the the only negative I heard. I want to hear from John Gibby. What, in your opinion, makes a great ultra four course? For a national championship, right? I mean, location is key. Like Oklahoma makes sense for location, right? Middle of the country. It makes sense. But does it? I don't know that it does. I see. Now, granted, yeah, it's central. But a majority of the racers and, you know, I, t- Shannon Welch is who told me this and I went and looked at it and a majority of the ultra four racers, they're from your neck of the woods, right? They're from Northern California is the glut of, of ultra four racers come out of there. And it's the Reno Tahoe area. And then the Sacramento area, the old pirates of the Rubicon area. I mean, there's, there's so many racers from that area. There's some SoCal guys. There's some Arizona guys. There's some Colorado guys. And then there's a sprinkling guys, New Mexico. Yeah. Then there's a sprinkling over the rest of the country, but the glut of them are in NorCal. So from a central location, I don't feel that Oklahoma is real central in my opinion. Yeah. I think that may be like a, that would be like a people pleaser statement out of me, I guess. Yeah. There but, you go. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I was getting at. <laughs> I mean, obviously it'd be amazing to have it, you know, on our side. Um, but as far as a national, a national championship track, I mean, Short course is probably it's going to be a spectator friendly event for all for all reasons right for exposure for content for spectators for drivers to you know people be able to reach the drivers I mean and be able to watch them and and do the battle on the course I mean short course makes sense was why why was was so good um, it had a lot of seating a lot of grandstands had amenities cell phone service was terrible there but I mean it is what it is. But I think a national championship should have everything. It should be a short course, should be fast, should be slow, should be technical. It should have rocks. I mean, it could be. It should be something that you know Wild West was, or something to be built and uh, to show all talents, you know. And and I think that, I mean, it'd, it'd be rad if it was on this side. I don't know where and when. I mean, if firmly firmly is an option, then I got a lot of work to do because the place is new. But I don't know. I don't know if that's on the table. I mean, that's that's all up in there. Rumor and conjecture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to start a new thing. This is a, uh, you're the Guinea pig and I'm going to ask every, everybody else. Hopefully in the future, I'll try to remember to do this. We'll, we'll see. This is the one thing I'm going to change up on this one. As we close out, I think, uh, you know, the music that we listen to, uh, says a lot about our mindset at, at the, at this point or juncture in our life, right? You know, um, um, various things. And I, I was going back to, I, I swear it was like a mini trucking magazine from the nineties where on like one of the last pages, it showed like what's in the CD changer. And it like listed the 10 CDs they were listening to. And they were all West coast stuff. You know, I'm, you know, I'm in Kansas, right? We had George Strait, 
you know, and that was every single year, George Strait. Now, so I'm going to ask you a question, John. Top three songs. Man, that's a tough one. If anyone knows me well, I'm a, I'm the uh, no radio on while I'm driving because I'm either on the phone or I'm thinking. So, I mean, if you go like to old Rubicon days, I mean, it might be uh, if I come in the sluice box and I'm coming in a vengeance, it might be ludicrous. Move out the way. All right. <laughs> some some like old school rap. Some move, you know, bitch. Uh, if, so I'm not really good with song names either or who sings them. Um, I got a funny story about that. Got me in trouble quite a bit, actually. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe some like if if I want to get going or if I'm in the dozer and I'm I just need something going. It's, you know, like Pandora, like a like an offspring or Green Day mix, you know, like that. Just that kind of punk, like the old school punk that actually it was, you know, like upbeat and not, you know, not metal. But, you know, that kind of music. I couldn't tell you a song in that realm, but in there and then uh i feel like lately it's been if i am driving i've been caught with the radio on lately which is is kind of rare and it's been just country like and i don't really have a a genre or i just kind of listen to everything and it, you know i mean my dad was garth brooks fan so i got to see garth brooks a couple times and like florida georgia lime um they're pretty rad i got to see them at sema that might have how i got in trouble because i might have recorded the beginning intro of like hey check this out i'm at some concert i don't even know where it is and i oh this song sounds familiar and send it to somebody else and she was like that's my favorite band and like goes to sema every year with me and this is the one year that she doesn't go and and she's like real cool <laughs> so yeah you, you know. rubbed it in her face right <laughs> yeah yeah they didn't go over so well so yeah that's i mean i think uh i don't yeah that, that's that'd be my music i guess if it's on, that's what, that's where we go. I asked you the question, so I can't make fun of your choices. I just, uh, I'll be neutral on them, but, uh, now I know what yeah. to play for you. You know, when, when, when next time I see you. Yeah. I mean, it could be some like NWA in the pre-runner when we're, when we're passing everyone on Boone road. I mean, you can choose the song, but you can guess which one it is, you know? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, you never know. Like, you know, I don't put some, I, you know, I have, it's funny. I got these hard drives of music for my buddies used to be DJs. And they're never on anything. And I never put music on my phone or iPads ever, but whatever's in my iTunes account, if you played the playlist in my phone, you'd be like, I don't even know where the music came from. I'll be on the airplane listening, like trying to sleep. And it goes from Britney Spears to Stone Temple Pilots to, to Garth Brooks to, I mean, Beastie Boys. Like, and it's like one song of like every, like, I don't even know how it got on my phone. It's like Tourette's. That's Just what I got. Musical Tourette's. <laughs> Dude, it is it is insanely out of control. And then all of a sudden, there's like a whole album of CCD or what is that? Creed, Creed? Oh, oh, CCR, Creedence Clearwater CCR. Revival. Yeah, like and I don't even know who they are, but like all of a sudden there'll be a whole album for them. And then all of a sudden, like run random, like two short song will come on. Like it's just it's insane. But yeah, I mean, I was you know I was in the low rider world, you know, I was a young kid, so I mean, too short, Tupac. I mean, all that you know, everyone thinks they're a gangster at some point in their life, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially if you grew up in you know the 90s right yeah i mean if you live next to Folsom prison i mean how much harder can you get yeah no right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well mr john goodby wow i uh i thoroughly enjoyed uh our conversation man i didn't know you like i, I don't know you i mean I f- here's the thing about that i feel like i know you i feel like i knew you beforehand like because you're a friendly guy i can walk up to you and i have walked up to you the first, I didn't even start with this. The first place we met physically and shook hands, uh-huh. 2020 ultra four nationals in Oklahoma. That's yep. not even, that's 
what is that? Eight months ago, nine months ago. It's not that long ago. The first time we physically shook hands. So everybody, that's how friendly this guy is that, you know, that was the first time. The second time I ran into him physically in person was at hammers this year and him yelling at me and inviting me in for lunch. So great guy, John Goodby. Thank you for coming on the talent tank. And, uh, and man, just kind of filling us in on who you are, what you do and how just everything about you. I mean, you just very, very curious to me. No worries. Yeah. I mean, just really, I mean, you know, I created one more thing about NorCal Rock Race and I created a series or tried to create a series that you want to race, you know, as a racer my whole life, I wanted to create something that everyone else wanted to be part of, you know, and whether it be grassroots or compete with ultra four, which, you know, or be a feeder series, whatever it is, like I wanted to create a series that you could come everyone's family, just like ultra four, but even closer and, you know, kept, kept the cost low, the racing intense and the payouts high and, you know, it's not about the money because you're racing, you can afford it, but it's nice to take home a couple thousand dollar check. And, and that's what I try to create. And NorCal rock racing is still grassroots, but I, you know, it's legit. When you show up to, you show up the battle. I mean, there's still some of the fastest guys in the country are there. Well, I can attest to watching your heat races this past weekend online. You got, you had a live feed. Man, that was new. That was a throw in like open wheel, tire to tire legit and again ron prendle and the old hippie killer yep. what a show like he, when he went for it i mean I, I almost found myself jumping up and down like it was it, it was legit well congrats on pull off that race be safe have fun at uh at holly ls fest uh this week and hopefully uh every, when everyone hears this we'll find out that it was super successful and uh the track you built was exactly that super successful and we never hear another word about it right <laughs> yep perfect that's all we need yeah it's, it's more of a demo now and just but uh there's some big some big gap doubles and the content coming out for some of the terror crew and the other guys will be out here it's, it's going to be insane there's not there's no tabletops it's literally all big gaps and a big nasty set of whoops with a jump going into them so that's what they wanted so that's what i built i will check out their instagram before that stuff goes live because uh yeah. terror crew is good about uh posting some some amazing stuff well man yeah. What a show. I'm glad I was able to get you on here, John. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule between your own racing, uh, hosting your own races, LS Fest, Ultra Four stuff, plus business, uh, concrete and wraps. And man, you're a uh, busy guy. I don't know when you sleep, but man, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Not everybody. On that note, we're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.